Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC, this is Money Talking. I'm Charlie Herman. Opioid addiction has become an epidemic in the United States. And yesterday, President Trump declared the crisis a public health emergency. I am directing all executive agencies to use every appropriate emergency authority to fight the opioid crisis. As health professionals and policymakers push for more funding to tackle the crisis, there's one group of people we have not heard from, the Sacklers. If the name isn't familiar, they are the family behind the pharmaceutical company Purdue that manufactures OxyContin, a drug that is at the center of the opioid crisis. Well, joining me by Skype is Patrick Radden Keefe. He's a staff writer at The New Yorker, and he wrote about the Sacklers in his article, The Family That Built an Empire of Pain, in this week's magazine. Patrick, good morning. Good morning. So who are the Sacklers? The Sacklers are a big family that is dispersed around New York and Connecticut. Some of them live in London, who are one of the wealthiest families in the country. Uh, according to Forbes, the family's worth some $14 billion dollars. And most of that wealth has actually come from Purdue Pharma, this privately held company that they own, which is the company that invented OxyContin, a blockbuster painkiller. When it was first introduced in 1995, OxyContin was a massive hit. It sold more than Viagra. It's generated or reported $35 billion. OxyContin is not the first painkiller on the market. What did the Sacklers and Purdue, the company, do that was different? Humans have known about the opium poppy for thousands of years and cultivated it and known that it can be uh, helpful in therapeutic ways in medicine, but also that it's really, really addictive. And so when Purdue Pharma rolled out OxyContin in the mid-90s, there was a big marketing push to persuade American doctors that these drugs, opioids, were not actually that dangerous and that, in fact, you could take powerful opioids over a long period of time and not grow addicted. So there was a sustained and really elaborate marketing campaign by Purdue that was fabulously successful and actually persuaded a lot of people to prescribe OxyContin. But only now do we look back and see that that change in prescribing habits is a big part of what got us to where we are today. Now, you said that Purdue is a privately held company. So how involved is the family in its management? So my reporting suggested that they're very involved. It's interesting. The Sacklers are a really well-known family in philanthropic circles. They famously give a lot of money to art museums. There's a Sackler wing at the Met. There's a Sackler wing at the Louvre. They put their names on all kinds of things. The one thing they really don't put their name on is the company, Purdue Pharma. And you might think that they weren't actually all that closely involved, but you've had family members from multiple generations of the Sacklers on the board and very actively involved over the years, including today. And in fact, a guy named Richard Sackler, who during the years when OxyContin was rolled out and became the big success that it was, was president of the company. So how has the family reacted to what's happened with OxyContin and to your reporting? The family has never really said a word. They are frequently interviewed about their philanthropic giving. They'll show up at ribbon cuttings, but no member of the family has ever really spoken expansively at all about OxyContin or about the opioid crisis. So we don't know what they think. Have you been able to document how they use their money to influence regulations and government policies? This is a striking aspect of the story. Once you had OxyContin introduced and then a series of other strong prescription painkillers that started to get abused by the 1990s, it became pretty clear that we had a problem. And you might think that the pharmaceutical companies at that point 
would have paused, maybe pulled some of these products, maybe changed the way they were marketed. But in fact, Purdue Pharma has spent a huge amount of money on lobbying. And so anytime you have any effort by lawmakers, either federally in Washington or often just in states, trying to introduce constraints that would limit how frequently these drugs are prescribed, they come up against a really well-funded lobbying apparatus. Has the company ever been charged for how it markets OxyContin? Yes. So Purdue's been sued actually thousands of times over OxyContin and was also investigated by federal prosecutors in Virginia and ended up actually pleading guilty back in 2007 to criminal charges of misbranding the drug, essentially of overselling how safe it was and downplaying the risks of addiction and death that would come from this. They paid a fine of about $600 million, which sounds like a lot of money in absolute terms. But when you think about the fact that this is a drug that's generated $35 billion, this could be seen in the words of Arlen Specter, the Pennsylvania senator. He said that you know when he looks at a number like that, he thinks that that's just an expensive license for criminal activity. What, if any, responsibility do you think the family bears in the opioid epidemic we are facing right now? I spoke to dozens of people for this piece, doctors who deal with addiction, public health officials, and quite a few of them told me they think that the Sackler family has a great deal of moral culpability in terms of getting us to the place we are today. Some 200,000 people have died from opioid overdoses since the late 1990s. And so we have a real crisis, obviously. And this was precipitated by the destigmatization of these powerful and very addictive drugs during the 1990s. And Purdue Pharma was really out there on the bleeding edge of pushing for that destigmatization. There's all kinds of internal records that have come out, many of which I reviewed for my piece, in which the company says very explicitly, look, we need to go out and change doctors' minds about this. When they raise objections, saying, oh, I don't know if I want to give this to my patients because there's the danger of addiction, here's what you tell them. You tell them that addiction is very rare, that it happens only 1% of the time, And this campaign, pretty sustained campaign of what we now see as misinformation, I think does play a really central role in the story of how we got to the crisis we're all contending with today. So what is the future of OxyContin and Purdue and the family? So in 2010, Purdue Pharma actually reformulated OxyContin to make it harder to abuse. And it was the case before that that you could grind it up and either snort the drug or inject it. They made it harder to do that with these new pills. And interestingly, after they did that, sales of the drug started to drop precipitously. And sales of OxyContin have now kind of plateaued in the United States. But In some ways, the most extraordinary part of this story is that what's happening now is that another company that's owned by the Sacklers called Mundi Pharma is beginning to really push OxyContin abroad and in the developing world and in places like Asia and Latin America and using exactly the same playbook that the company used back in the 1990s in places like Appalachia and other areas around the United States where in pretty short order, we developed these tremendous problems. Patrick Ryden-Keefe is a staff writer at The New Yorker. His recent article is called The Family That Built an Empire of Pain. Patrick, thank you very much. Thank you. And I'm Charlie Herman. This is Money Talking from WNYC. 